Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. Today's show is sponsored by Mikasa Home Inspections, Calgary's top-rated home inspection company. Mikasa understands that the highest quality of service is essential, so make sure to call Mikasa before your next real estate deal. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, on today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Rachel Brown of Bricks Mortgage. I would call this podcast Mortgage 101. We cover a lot of ground and I try to hit Rachel with as many mortgage-related questions in 45 minutes as I can to help you get a better understanding of mortgages and the financing options that are available. Rachel was an underwriter for years before becoming a mortgage broker. And you'll quickly be able to tell how that has benefited her skills and understanding in all areas of the lending process. Rachel can definitely find solutions for you if you need a mortgage. Morning, Rachel. Just want to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Lovely to see you. Nice to see you again. Could you tell, tell our listeners about yourself and how you got into mortgage broking? I actually have an interesting story about how I ended up in mortgages. When I graduated university, I was desperate for a job, pretty much. And I found this company called Career Edge. I'm not even sure if they still exist. But what they do is they give you an internship. And the companies come to them looking for interns. And uh, I was recruited by a monoline lender, which we'll explain that later on. But um, I was recruited by a lender and they basically trained me from the ground up. I knew I didn't even know what a mortgage was when I first started in this industry. They had to explain, okay, how does that all work? What is a mortgage? For anybody that's not sure, basically a mortgage is defined as just being a loan with a security attached to it, which is typically property. So that nice. was kind of my start in there. So I started at the very bottom. I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was a good experience, actually. Yeah, yeah the, the ongoing joke is, uh, I didn't even know how to spell mortgage, but I, I'm sure you did. Yeah, <laughs> I knew how to spell it. I just didn't know what it was. And That's I right, might have yeah. missed the T a couple of times. I'm not going <laughs> That's right. And then what did you do in university? What did you take? Uh, I took geography and history. My plan, and I kind of got steered short, was I really wanted to be a meteorologist or a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> and ironically, the first yeah, the first year for both is identical science, that kind of thing. And I did not do well in that, but I really excelled at geography. So I took that and uh, history was kind of an accident just because I enjoyed history. So I took a lot of history courses. And at the end, I ended up being one credit short of a degree. So I finished that off. So I actually have two degrees. Oh, awesome. fun. that's awesome. Yeah. And then because you yeah. mentioned it already, can you explain what a monoline lender is? So monoline, so monoline, there's three different categories of lenders. We have banks, which we all know who the banks are. We have credit unions, which I think are, they have a really interesting niche in markets, you know, depending on location and that sort of thing. And then we have what's called monoline lenders. So monoline lenders, they have one line of business and monoline, and that is mortgages or secured lines of credit. They don't do bank accounts. They don't do credit cards. They don't do anything like that. It's all secured loans. So those are kind of my favorite to work with because quite often they offer really good interest rates and they're really, I'm going to call them mortgage broker friendly. So they, what they want is they, they recognize that um, you as a client, you know, work with your mortgage broker to get the best solutions, rate strategy, that sort of thing. So they're just, a, they're just a separate line of business that does just that. But unless you work with a mortgage broker, you won't have access to monoline lender. Yeah, it's interesting because right? everybody knows yeah. about the big banks and, and you know, some people would yes. know about uh, credit unions, but then yeah, the monoline yes. is. Um, I'm not that familiar with monoline 
uh, lenders. How many, how many would there be typically that you could access? Oh my goodness. That's a good question. I'm going to say there's probably at least 40 to 50 of them. And some of them do the same sorts of things and they might have like, you know, little nuances that separate them. So when I work with a client, you know, I can recommend, okay, if, if this is your, if your goal is to pay down your mortgage faster and you have want to put lump sums on your mortgage, well, then there's a lender that will allow you to put down the most as opposed to another lender who even has the same rate, everything the same, except they don't allow you to put down as much without penalty. So it's just little like product differences that they have. But the way I look at it is, you know, if you go to one lender or one bank, they're looking at their products and their products only. Whereas with model line lenders and all and banks and everybody in with a mortgage broker, you're basically looking at the full rainbow. I mean, the world is your oyster. There's so many different types of products and things out there. So it's definitely worth that conversation to see where things go yeah, and for where sure. you fit. And then, yeah. so, so in a almost an order of progression, but would like would a mono line lender would that be uh, qualifies for CMHC as well, or is that is that not going to qualify? Yeah. It would. Yeah, no, hundred percent. A lot of them. There's a couple lenders on the mono line side that only do CMHC or you know mortgage insured products, right? So there's three insurers. That's why I say that. But yeah, there's three insurers that will insure. And if your mortgage is going to be insured, there's a couple lenders that only deal with those types of products as well, right? So that's where it comes in. Okay which of those three might fit best? What are their rates? What does this look like? What does that look like? So there's a whole bunch of different terms and conditions, as I call them, with model one lenders that differ. So where do you fit in? What does what you want and need out of a mortgage fit? And sometimes that is the big banks. Um, you know, like that's that's just the, the nature. They do sometimes do things that we need, you know, we need to utilize their product, but sometimes it's not. So that's yeah. why when you're having a conversation with a mortgage broker who knows lots of different lenders and lots of different mortgage products. It's definitely a, you know, a different world, I would say, than just going to one lender and saying, help me. For sure. We have way more options yeah. to, to get them qualified. Way more options. Yeah. Can you give me an example of something where maybe the big banks would touch, but then, so then you would be like, I know a mono lender would look at this. Is there, is there some sort of example you could give? You know, I think it's, it's more the other way around. I would say like, I usually start with the mono lenders, like I said, because what happens is they allow me to work on your behalf, even after the mortgage is closed. If you need information, we're looking at possibly refinancing your house and there's going to be a penalty. What does that look like? I can tell you what that's going to look like. I don't need to send you to a bank to have that conversation. So, you know, I can contact a lender on your behalf. All I need is a signature on a permission form, uh, which I send out, you know, so there's, there's some uh, more of that, I would say than anything. With the monoline lenders, depending on the lender, there are some where we can add a second product behind the first product. So for example, if you have a mortgage right now that 2.5%, which is a phenomenal rate right now, um, and you want to add a secured line of credit behind it, there are some options in our in our broker channel where we can go to a different model one lender or the same model one lender and keep your existing mortgage at that rate, which is really important, and then have a second product to go behind it to access your equity without having to pay any penalties. Ooh, so like that's that. definitely, yeah, it's definitely a benefit. The banks do something similar, like they can look at different things, but I, I feel like it's a little easier with these monoline lenders because you already have that relationship with them. So it's a, For sure. yeah, a little, a little bit easier, I would say. With the banks, I usually put clients there when we need an exception to be made. They're easier to get exceptions with, or if there's a, you know, a unique part of the property Sometimes these monoline lenders don't particularly love unique parts of property. So for example, mobile homes, uh, a lot of these monoline lenders do not like mobile homes. So we have to, you know, attach ourselves to a major bank, possibly a credit union, 
again, we do the legwork for you as a mortgage broker. You don't have to necessarily go to five different lenders. For sure. So yeah. that's that's a benefit too. Yeah, for sure. And the next question, if, kind of like a, a 10,000 foot view, but I, I know it's going to vary based on, uh, I guess, who, who you would contact. Um, but if, if you can just kind of explain how the, the evaluation works. So like, so are they going to look at credit score? What, what type of things are these lenders going to look for to basically give a mortgage? So there's four things. There's four categories, I would say. So the first thing is going to be your income. Are you self-employed? Are you employed? Are you hourly wages? Are you, or are you paid, you know, bi-weekly? Are you paid semi-monthly? What is, what does your income look like? So I usually ask right up front, what is, what is the story with your income? Tell me about what you do for work. Because obviously we do need to have an income to get a mortgage in most cases. The second thing I'm going to ask you is, have, do you know what your credit score is? Some people have no idea and actually, that's okay. You, I don't know. I've heard it. Mine's good, but I actually don't yeah. know what it is right now. Yeah. And so I would say credit, normally what I do before I pull anybody's credit, I ask you to go to Credit Karma or Borrow Well and set up an account and find out what your credit score looks like. Make sure everything that's on there, I recommend both and I'll tell you why in a minute, but I recommend that you do that because if you do that, you'll A, you'll have an idea what your credit score looks like and B, if there's anything there that shouldn't be there, we can look after that at the very start. Does, does setting up one of those accounts, will that affect your credit score or it has no impact? It doesn't. No, it doesn't. It has no impact. It's not a formal credit pull. So it, it's just you checking to see. But the, the information is there. The score may vary. Again, we'll talk about that in a minute. The score may vary a little bit, but it's absolutely something I recommend you look at because it gives you the basics. And if there's something there that shouldn't be there, that's, you know, that's something we look out for. That's, you know, could there be some identity theft? Is there, you know, is somebody stealing credit from you? Is there something that happened? Did your wallet get stolen or something like that? Has your card been ripped or, off that you haven't identified it? That might be a way to figure that out. Nice. I, yeah, that's great. And then, yeah. or maybe if you've been late on a couple payments by accident, that could have uh, exactly. as well, right? It'll show up. Yeah, yeah, you'll be able to tell. And honestly, I mean, most people are scared to tell me this thing. I'm going to tell you if you lie, I'm, I'm pulling your credit report anyway. So I'm going to find out. But yeah. ultimately, you know, the I'm here for you to tell me the truth. And then it's my job to spin it and do what needs to be done and tell the lender what happened, what, like how to get around it, that sort of thing. If there's no way to get around it, my goal for you is let's, let's work on that together. I don't just say, okay, off you go to the races and good luck. You know, we come up with a game plan to fix your credit. And I have lots of strategies for that sort of thing as well. I have some credit professionals that I work with that if there's something reporting there that shouldn't be, we can work on that. If you have had identity theft in the past, that's something I can kind of give you some guidance on. Again, like this is just a, it's a little bit different than just doing mortgages. There's more to it than that. So um, with credit, there's a couple of things we want to talk about. What is your credit score? Now the credit score on BorrowWell and Credit Karma are going to be different scores than what I pull. The reason is, is that those are meant to be educational purposes. Whereas what I'm pulling is going to be, you know, for the purpose of mortgage lending. So it's a, the score is a little bit different. They'll be similar but they will be a little bit different. So, but so like if you, if you do have uh, an account there with Credit Karma or BorrowWell mm-hmm. and let's say it's telling you, oh, your credit's 700 points or something. How different do you think it would be when you pull the credit? Like, is it, is it do you see much variance there? Sometimes, yes, sometimes no. And the other reason is, is that, so there's two credit reporting companies in Canada. There's TransUnion and then Equifax. Equifax is mostly what we use in the mortgage industry. Um, we do sometimes look at TransUnion. So BorrowWell is the Equifax and Credit Karma is TransUnion. So I'm going to give you an example here of something that came up 
that's different. So my Equifax is all clean, everything looks good. But when I sign myself in to Credit Karma, which is the TransUnion, it actually doesn't show my name correctly. It actually showed my mom's name because the first line of credit I had was a student line of credit and my mom was a co-signer on it. So somehow her name ended up as part of my name on the credit report. So we had to get that fixed. And the only way I even figured that out was because I applied for a mortgage and that came up. So yeah. It's, yeah, there are mistakes that happen. These credit reporting companies are not perfect. They do get their information from credit applications that you have put in. So it, yeah, there are things that are can be incorrect and those things we can fix. They're not, they're, you know, it's not set in stone and it's not a big problem. We can fix those things. So I'm not super concerned about it. If that is, if we do have something, that's the kind of thing I want to know up front. So that's the reason why I ask my clients to do those things and take a look and see. I'm not as interested in the credit score as well as what the information on the report is going to be. Obviously, if you tell me your credit score is quite low or there's problems, then we need to pull your credit and see what's going on and how we, how do we fix it? We come up with a game plan, like I said, but for sure, you know, if you tell me my, my credit's good, then, and I've never had a problem with credit. I pay everything on time that sort of thing. I'm not as concerned about the number because I expect that it's going to be a high number yep. at that point. If, if someone pulled, so if you, if you were keeping an eye on it and then someone actually puts out a line of credit on your name, like, you know, uh, yep. for, for fraudulently, would, would you, would you be able to kind of, you would get a notification to be able to see that uh, there or you see it's hit your so, score? No. So what it will hit your score because somebody has applied for credit. So, yep. I mean, they would have had to have pulled your credit, but what ends up happening is I recommend that if you've had some identity theft in the in the past, probably if you've had it dealt with already, you probably already have an alert on your credit report, but you can do that. So what that means is that anybody that is applying for credit, whether it's you or somebody's, you know, fraudulently doing it, they have to phone you and they have to phone you at whatever number you give them. So if you ever change your phone number, you've got to make sure you change that with mm. the credit reporting companies because they will only talk to you at that phone number. So That's it's great, quite important that you keep that up to date. Yeah, 100%. I recommend that because what happens is that whoever's underwriting your file, that underwriter at whatever lender, XYZ, whether it's a secured line of credit, unsecured line of credit, a loan application, they have to or should be phoning you at that phone number to confirm. So yeah. it, it's a way of protecting at this point. It's a way of you know preventing identity theft and it's a way of protecting against if something has happened in the past. So and if you wanted to get that um, number, any suggestions? Yeah, you have to call Equifax or TransUnion. So we can, yeah, I can set you up with that phone number and we can post that for everybody. But that's definitely the, the way to do it is get, get in touch with them and they'll give you directions on how to set that up. That's great. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea to protect yourself. Yeah. And there's so much identity theft going on that, yeah, it's definitely important. For sure. For sure. And then can, can you just take a few minutes just explain credit score? I, I have a basic understanding, yeah. but if someone does, isn't familiar with it. So credit scores run from 300, I've never seen one, to 900. And I'm going to tell you that's a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen a couple. I will say I have seen a couple. And those days made me want to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> <laughs> but what that means is most people are somewhere in the, like, I would say is, you know, 650 to 800, somewhere in there. If you're over 800, you have exceptional credit. And I, I pat you on the back because that is meaning that you have really good credit. If you're in the 600s, you know, I can give you tips on what it takes to get you beyond 600. But yeah, beyond 600 into the 700s. If you have over 700, you're in, you're in good shape at that sure. point. If you're in the 600s or high 600s, we can do some work to get you moving forward. And sometimes that's just a matter of keep doing what you're doing. 
you've had a credit event in the past. We all go through life. You know, if there's credit events, there's no judgment for me. I've, I've been there. <laughs> so we have to just move on. Right. And so I can help you show you what needs to be done. And sometimes, like I said, there's no immediate fix. It's just a matter of keep doing what you're doing. And it's just a matter of time. Yeah, for so sure. I've heard this one that maybe it's more well known, but let's say a person has a line of credit. I think, is it higher than 75% uh, max or maxed out and, and they're making their payments and they feel, oh, oh, I'm making my payments. I'm building up, uh, you know, it's right. going to be fine. But actually the banks look at that differently, right? The lenders? Sometimes, yeah. So what it what it looks at, your credit score is reflective of that. So if you're maxed out on all your credit cards and you've got three credit cards and they're all at the maximum, your score is going to decrease. And the reason that, that that happens is there's algorithms that credit is based on. And one of the reasons that we do that is so that you're not going out and getting another credit card that you can't manage. So they're very cognizant of that. But what most credit scores, and, and again, the algorithms change on how your score is calculated, which is another accountant as to why you might see, you know, you have a 680 this month and next month you have a 720 and nothing's changed. It might just be how they're calculating the score is different. So one of the things that, you know, that they do look at is like, if you've got three credit cards, one's maxed out and the other two have nothing on them, that's okay because they're looking at the overall credit. So okay. if you're, you know, if you've got each of them are $10,000 limits and the one of them is at 10,000 and the other two are empty, they're looking at it as you have $10,000 out of the 30,000. Yeah, so that makes that's, sense. You know, under the, yeah. So you want to try and keep it under the like 50 to 50% of the limit. That's ideal, obviously, but not necessarily a hard and fast rule. Sometimes you can kind of get away with that. And same with lines of credit. They kind of lump them together. Loans are a different story because you're always going to be at the limit because it's a loan. There is yeah. no revolving credit portion. So again, just keep making your payments on that. For so sure. that's important. And then, so yeah. for someone that's trying to improve their credit score, is it the credit cards okay. that they should take care of first? What kind of things should you in it to improve your credit score to take care? There's there's definitely different strategies to do. I would say, yeah, pay off your your high interest stuff first is usually what I tell people. So you know, if that's pay off your high interest stuff as fast as you can. Not to be anybody's parent or anything, because I don't want to be responsible for your finances. But what I usually strategize with people to do is set aside a budget. So if your budget to pay off debt every month is going to be, let's say, $1,000 a month, and you need to make minimum payments to everything, my suggestion is, is that if you have extra left over at the end, that extra lump sum left over at the end goes on to whatever the highest interest is. Most times that's going to be a credit card. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And often, I would say the last thing you're going to touch is going to be probably loan. Yeah, most loans are at lower interest. It's the credit cards that are first. So I would start with whichever trade line we call it, whichever trade line is going to be at the highest interest rate. That's what you want to be paying off first. That makes sense. And now yeah. another, because this is, this podcast is basically mortgage 101 uh, is what we're kind of, we're kind yeah. of going to try to <laughs> yeah. dive into a lot of things today. Uh, and another yeah. term that you hear quite often in the lending world is debt service ratio. So could you kind of give our yeah. listeners uh, explanation what that is and how that Im impacts? The yeah. Lending? So let, that actually leads perfectly. So we're going to, the third thing that, that lenders look for is, I'm going to call it debt servicing ratios. So are your debt servicing ratios in line? So one of the things, the other things that I do ask my clients is what kind of debt do you have? Do you have car loans? Do you have student loans? Do you have lines of credit? Do you have credit cards? Do you have RSP loans? What do you have? So with that being said, let's say everything has a payment and it's got a minimum payment. Okay. We're going to use the minimum payment versus what your income is. And that's how we come up with your debt servicing ratios. So your debt servicing ratios, there are thresholds that the lenders look at. 
And so we will get into that in depth when we have that. I call it the discovery call. These are the four things I go over with my clients during a discovery call. So during that, what are those debt servicing ratios? What does that look like? And can we qualify with those debt servicing ratios? Is there a way to make things work? So that's 100% what we're looking for. And, uh, you know, basically, I want to make sure you're not looking for champagne on a beer budget, looking for hosing. Um, The last thing I want to do is disappoint anybody. I don't want them going shopping, Corey, without having a pre-approval. Because if you find a house that's a $600,000 and it's the house of your dreams, and you find out that I can't qualify for that house, how crushed are you going to be? Right? So I want to make sure that we're not making that mistake with any clients. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Nobody wins in that scenario, right? Exactly. So that's that's the third thing. And then the fourth thing that lenders look at is down payment. Where is your down payment coming from? How much is it? The minimum is 5%. So we need to figure out where is your down payment coming from? What do we need to do? If you're saving up your down payment, that's still okay. Let's have a conversation. Again, I can put together a plan for you to put that in perspective. And then we can come up with a game plan and a goal. And if your goal is it's going to take me nine months to do A, B, and C, great. Then that's nine months down the road. And in the meantime, let's check in every couple of weeks and see how you're doing. Is there any new information? Maybe I'm just a motivation subject for you. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) And and there's some, there's some rules as to where that down payment can come from as well, right? Yes. Yes. And it's dependent right on, on where it is. So if, if mom and dad are helping out or grandma and grandpa are helping out, that's great. We can do that. But if you're getting a gift from your best friend up the road, that's not going to work. Lenders don't want to see a non-family member gifting you money. So, you know, we need to have that conversation is, okay, maybe we need to ask mom and dad and then we can sort of, you know, deal with that later, you know, or, or that's, so that's if it's gifted. If it's, um, you're saving up the money, that's fine. We just need to see 90 days history of your bank account to show that that money is accumulating naturally through paychecks or whatever the case might be. If you have, you know, a $10,000 deposit that shows up in your bank account, the lender's going to ask me, where is that coming from? So I'm going to be asking you, where is that coming from? So that's 100% the, uh, the situation there. You know, we want to make sure that we're, we're, che- we're checking the box. The reason that lenders are so picky about where your down payment is coming from is that our federal government has implemented the anti-money laundering policies. And there was a lot of, I'm going to say like unsourced money coming into the real estate market and they want to make sure it's not tied to drugs, uh, terrorism, anything like that. So the government has really cracked down on it. Lenders are very, very stingy on that because if they don't do their due diligence and check off where that is coming from, then they get their hand slapped by the government. So we're very picky about down payment. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. So that's that's something we will go over in a lot of detail. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah. that's a fantastic intro and explanation into yeah. the mortgage uh, lending process. So yeah. now, now I'm going to shift gears and it, I kind of want to talk about uh, an A lender versus a B lender and, and maybe mm-hmm. even pr- private lending, if, if you wouldn't mind uh, kind of giving us a high level of the differences. Absolutely. So A lending is basically what I just described. (laughs) We're looking at those four items. We're checking off paperwork, giving us those four items. And I know there's some myths out there about self-employed people. I'm going to talk about that for a quick second. If you're self-employed or you're getting commissions or um, your income is not traditional, I'm going to say, there are mortgages for you. And a lot of people that have gone to the banks, the banks don't particularly love this type of lending. So you might even have a decline by the bank just because you're self-employed or your income isn't quote unquote provable. Those clients are categorized as alternative clients. Okay. So that's B lending. I call it that old traditional saying is B lending. 
So what that means is that we have lenders that will look at you and they will give you a mortgage. And it's because you're quote unquote higher risk at that point, the rates are a little bit higher. There are some fees involved. Cash is going to be king as to what you can qualify for. But they're a lot more flexible on what types of paperwork we need. They understand self-employed individuals and the types of paperwork that we have as self-employed individuals. I find them a lot easier to deal with as far as their conditions are usually pretty minimal. Sometimes there's a little bit more paperwork. It just depends on how your business is structured. But 100%, that is where we go. If we can't even get in the doors with those types of bigger box guidelines, then we look at private lending. Private lending is not for everybody. It's expensive. The guidelines are very, very loose. We don't need a lot of paperwork. It's based strictly on the fact that you have equity in your house. So what that means is you either, if you're purchasing, you need a bigger down payment. If you're refinancing, we need to leave enough equity in that property that the lender is happy to know that there's equity there. So it's, it's a little there bit may not even There may not even be a credit check with a private lender or, or from my understanding, there is, is that true? Oh, it's yeah, still a credit there check? is a okay. credit check. Yeah, 100%. There's a credit check. There's an appraisal. Those are the two things you're 100% going to be. Appraisals, okay. depending on where you are, appraisals will run you 350 to, I'm going to say I've seen $600. It depends on where your location is, what appraiser is doing it, how fast you need it, that sort of thing. But those are the two for sure. Then as far as um, paperwork goes, they want to see that you don't owe any money to the CRA. And the reason that's important, and all lenders will want to see that. The reason that that's important is because if, for whatever reason, you owe money to the CRA, the CRA can foreclose on your home. And so the lender's out of pocket money. And at that point, that's no good for anybody. So it's 100% a condition with everybody. But if you owe money to the CRA, we have ways around paying that money to the CRA using your home equity as well. Yeah. So there's ways to do that, I, I was which thinking, will help you. I think what I was thinking about, some there's some private lenders that are kind of focused on like say pro- property flippers, that kind of thing. And in that case, are, a, lot, yeah. a lot of times they'll they'll just focus on the deal itself and not the person. So they'll exactly. look at, right? In, in that case, then there, it's not so much the, the person, but it's, it's basically, is it profitable? Um, Absolutely. When you're yeah. flipping a house, private is where you want to be. Yes, it's more expensive, but in the long run, it's actually probably less expensive because if you were to go with an A lender, they want to lock you into a one-year rate um, at, at the very minimum or a five-year rate. And at that point, you're going to pay a penalty to get out of that mortgage. By the time you add that penalty in and all the costs associated with it, you're going to be better off to have done a private mortgage where there's no penalty to get out or the penalty is very minimal. And as a home flipper, your goal is to get in there, get the work done and get out of there as fast as possible, make your money and go. So that's 100% something that I would say private lending. Yeah. Although I have seen, there are some programs that we can look at as well, but a lot of private lenders, there's, there's options for flipping for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then for self-employed people, we all know that everybody, mm-hmm. you know, try to keep the capital on their company, maybe pay themselves, yeah. uh, just basically whatever they need to live comfortably, right? So they're they're always trying, and you're not going to pay less yes. taxes, that kind of thing. So when when you approach yeah. a B lender, they will look at the bank account sometimes, right? Is that right? They for do. Qualifying? Okay. Yep. Yep. So we're looking at the realities of the situation, not what you just claim to the CRA. They're not looking at your notice of assessments or your T1 generals like we do on the A lending side. Those are the key documents. The A lenders are basically attached to the CRA. They're the they're their best friends because if you don't claim enough money to the CRA, then you don't qualify for your mortgage. They're only going to use what you claim to the CRA. Whereas alternative lending, they're looking at what's actually going on with the company. What do your financials last year look like? What what are your expenses? What is your income? And that sort of thing. So 
We have a couple of lenders that, that I use quite often for what I call the bank statement program, where I collect a year of your bank statements. We basically analyze the bank statements. That's something I do on my end. And I look at how much income did you have? And what were your expenses? And to get an idea of your expenses, I usually ask for company financials, just because that makes my life easier to kind of do an analysis. But we're not actually sending those to the lender. It's just a matter of using what are your major expenses? Yeah, if you have $200 for postage stamps and it's sitting in there, I'm probably not going to throw that in there. But if you have, you know, you know, $10,000 for rent of your office, then that's, that's a major expense that we add into that. So it's just a matter of massaging up the numbers a little bit so that your application looks a little more realistic to your situation as opposed to what's claimed to the CRA. Because I have seen people who make, you know, $250,000 a year and write their income down to $20,000 or less. Yeah. So they're not going to get anything. So again, this is alternative lending. Yeah, that 100%. makes sense. Um, yeah. And I don't, know, I don't want those business people claiming income to the CRA to pay extra income tax just so they can qualify for a mortgage. So that's the whole point of this. So sometimes when you're an alternative lender, you are into the alternative lending, you're going to stay alternative lending. You're not going to move up to the A lending because it doesn't make sense financially to do that. Yeah. If, is there a point where they could maybe switch over, say, if they went to a B lender because they're self-employed, yeah. uh, like down the road after maybe three to five years, they're going to do a renewal. Could they? Is there options to switch to, to an A lender at that point? There is. There is. At that point, we review and say, okay, does it make sense to go to A lending at this point? Can we qualify at this point? Maybe qualification is a little bit easier at this point. That's not happening today. <laughs> I'll yeah. tell you, qualification's gotten harder just because of interest rates. But ultimately, if you are at a point where we can put you with an A lender, I'm going to do that all day long because they have the better rates and terms. But it doesn't make sense to pay an extra, you know, 50 to $75,000, for example, to the CRA just so you can qualify for that. In the long run, it's not saving you enough money to make it worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. great that there's options for, for everyone. 100%. 100%. And then this is actually what you just mentioned there uh, leads perfectly in my next question. Some changes that you've been noticing in the lending environment because because of these, what was it, seven increases last year and then we just had a new one today, right? So what, what are some of the we changes did. you're seeing? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's two different types of lending. So we have fixed rate lending and variable rate lending. So with the variable rate lending, it's based on whatever the Bank of Canada's prime rate or each lender has their own prime rate, but it's very closely tied to whatever the Bank of Canada is doing. So today that prime rate has gone up a quarter percent. Again, we've been seeing pretty much a straight year of increases now. And what we're waiting for, what's happening is the inflation in Canada right now is still too high. So they're going to continue to, my opinion is they're going to continue to do this until inflation starts to decline or drop. And I do think we saw a little bit of a decline in December. So at the next meeting, which will be in March, we're hoping to have January and February numbers and hopefully the declines are starting to happen because the rates are there. Spending got out of hand when interest rates were so low. So that's why this is happening ultimately to kind of give you a high level of that. So that's, that's changing things. Yeah. Um, with fixed rate lending, and we'll go back to variable rate and qualification in a minute, but with, with uh, fixed rate lending, the fixed rates are based the bank or bond rates, the five-year bond rates, let's say, affect the five-year interest rates. So what's happening right now is we have to qualify at the benchmark rate, which is the stress test, is the benchmark rate at 5.25 or 2% above whatever our contract rate is. And our contract rate is the rate that you would get. So for example, today, if you're getting 5% interest rate, we're qualifying you at 7%. Whereas previously, when rates were lower, we were qualifying you at the benchmark rate at 5.25%. So 
the difference in qualification, it's getting harder to qualify for a mortgage right now. Mm, um, no. And, you know, if, if you're one of the unlucky ones that has had an income decrease or your income hasn't changed when you were expecting a raise or you've lost your job, these are things that are going to affect your mortgage as well. If you're trying to apply, there are things that are, you know, definitely going to be issues with qualification. So that's definitely there. Now with a variable rate, you know, we now have the variable rate climbing again. So we have most of our lenders are still offering a discount off prime rate. So for example, if you're, you know, you're sitting at prime rate, we can offer you half a percent off prime rate. And then we add 2% back and that rate is what you're qualifying at. So it's a little bit on the, on the different side there. So because those rates have become so much higher, people are not qualifying as freely as they used to. So it's getting a little more challenging. Did they change the rules? It was easier to qualify for a variable rate than a fixed rate. Is that like last year? It have they was. Changed? Have yeah. they changed that? Okay. No, the rule hasn't changed. What happened was the prime rate went up. And oh, so, I see. Yeah. So because it went up and we have to do the 2% above the contract rate, it's now qualified. You're not qualifying higher because the prime rate went up. Mm. And when prime rate was still, you know, somewhat lower, we were, you were able to qualify easier for a variable rate versus a fixed rate. But that, that change happened. Probably we hit the threshold. I want to say it was probably like in this, in the summer last year, we hit that threshold where we were no longer in a benefit to qualify you for a variable rate and get you higher amounts. Now you're, now you're better with the fit. I see. And then any changes anyway. Have you seen any changes for the underwriting practices or are they just getting like uh, tighter uh, to qualify that kind of stuff? You know what? I think that that's an ever changing environment. I would say the underwriting processes through the lenders, some lenders are tightening up their guidelines. Other lenders are pretty much staying the same, but I, I would say like I'm being asked for more paperwork now than ever before. So I, you know, if I'm asking you for your firstborn child worth of paperwork, I apologize. <laughs> It's not that I want it, but the lenders want to know who they're lending to. And they are getting a little more picky on that side of things as far as, you know, what, what kind of information is on your employment letter? Does your employment letter and your pay stub match exactly? If they don't match exactly, we're going to run into some issues. So we need to, you know, how can we mitigate that risk? So there are ways around those things. You know, again, this is why you have me working on that on your behalf, because I can tell you before, before we even submit it into a lender, is the lender going to accept that paperwork or are we going to have an issue? So yeah, you can see yeah, it's, pretty, like it's amazing how many moving parts there are. And like compared to if you just reach out yes. to a bank and they only have access to basically what the bank offers, how much more options you can provide for, for someone looking to get a mortgage. It's just like, it's mind blowing actually. Yeah. It, it is. And, and I think, yeah. I think that the other thing is, is that like I've had a few people that are like, Ooh, I don't want to tell you this. And I'm like, no, 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 you need to tell me because if there's things I need to know, I need to know how to mitigate that risk with the lender. Whereas if you tell the bank, they don't ask questions. They just say, yeah, no, right? Mm -hmm. And and they shut you down right then and there. Whereas for me, if you tell me things, there are things that we don't necessarily need to open a can of worms or that we do need to, we need paperwork or the paperwork shows this. And it, it just makes life a little easier when, you know, when you can be totally upfront and honest. And that's what I want for my clients. I want honesty, tell me what is happening. Don't hide anything from me. I'm on your side, you know, and I'm not the bank. I'm just providing that information to the bank. So if there's something we need to tell the bank, or if there's something that it's like that, they don't care about that. But with a major bank, you're dealing directly with that. And you don't know where to stop talking, essentially. (laughs) So that's, yeah. Any, have you seen anything new, any new kind of lending products or heard of anything that might be coming out where I know some of the big banks may, may not be doing it, but have you uh, is there anything mm-hmm. new? I don't want to say it's new, but there's products that we've had in the past that disappeared for a while and now they're starting to come back. 
you know, a couple of our monoline lender partners that I talked about earlier are starting to add secured line of credits to their current mortgages, which is somewhat new for a lot of these monoline lenders. Um, usually if you needed a secured line of credit, your best option was going to be to go to the bank because there weren't any options. Whereas now there, a lot of them are coming out with their own products. So I would say that's something new, you know, and I like that because we get to deal with the monoline lender. So again, I get to help you out with your mortgage um, when we're placing it, but I also get to help you service that. So if you need information or if you have questions about how it works, I can contact the lender on your behalf. So that makes life easier. It just keeps our relationship intact. Yeah. So that's really helpful for you. So yeah, I would say that's that's probably the biggest thing that I've seen. And again, like there's um, there's different interest rates. There's a couple products that are based just on the amount of equity you have in your house that have come back. We used to have those products and they disappeared for probably about, I'm going to say five, six, maybe 10 years. And they're starting to come back now. So if you know if you have 50% of what your house is worth and your mortgage is under that 50% mark, we don't necessarily need to prove your income. And it's still an A lending product. So there's still some, some flexibility there. That product disappeared for a long time and it's just coming back to light. So that's really helpful as well. Interesting. Yeah. And some um, net, yeah, net worth programs as well. That's awesome. There's a product and I, you're going to explain this 10 times better than I can. So I'm just going to ask you, so like if someone, let's say they have a newer vehicle, new truck or new boat mm -hmm. trailer, mm -hmm. and it's like, Hey, I'd yeah. like to get maybe 50 grand out of this thing. And, or, or maybe just uh, have my payments lower on, on, on this vehicle because yes. there's feeling the, the pinch of inflation. What there's some options for that too, right? There are. Yeah, there are. There, it's actually kind of a, that's a newer, a newer exciting thing that's happened. So that's kind of different than the mortgage world. So what that is, is it's uh, we have a company that we've partnered with. And what they do is they can lower your payments. So what they're doing is let's say your loan is $20,000 and your payments are $500 a month. And qualification wise, we need to get your payments down to $300 a month. There's potential for them to be able to do that. So what they're doing is instead of having, you know, a five-year term or a six-year term on your car loan, we're now extending it another five years. So mm -hmm. yes, we're going to extend your payment, but your minimum payment now goes down. So now we qualify. Yeah. Um, you can still make your payments as if, as you were and pay more than you were if you want to, but the minimum payment now fits within our debt lending ratios. So it helps. Um, or if, let's say for example, like I, for example, I have a, you know, a pickup truck that is probably at, you know, in today's market is probably worth about $50,000, but I only owe 20,000 on it. So what I could do is I could now refinance that vehicle and pull money out of my vehicle and start my loan again at the $50,000. Yeah. And so, yes, and my payment's going to change, but now I have a down payment yeah. or now I have money to pay off other debt or whatever the case might be. We can pull money out of that vehicle. So I think it's, it's, uh, it's a great solution. If maybe for yes. couple reasons, if you're looking for down payment money or put that money somewhere yes. else, or maybe you're feeling the pinch and you're like, uh, because, you know, fuel prices are high food and you're just, you want to lower some payments for a while. That's another great way yeah. to do it. Right. So it's. Yeah. Uh, and what I've seen people do is use that money to pay off higher interest debt. So if we're yep. getting, you know, even if that interest rate is going to be eight, nine percent, it's still a lot lower and payments are amortized over a lot longer than your credit card, for example. So your credit card is sitting at 25 percent interest. Now we're paying that off. Right. Yeah. Or people are using that money to renovate their properties and then sell them or whatever the yep. case might be. That money, it's I'm not going to say it's free money. It's not. But it's money that you can free up to, yep. you know, to do something else with. And there are some rules for sure. Up. It, 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 like yes. they, they do look at, oh, is this a newer vehicle or, or boat or yeah. trailer? They're, they, they're not going to do yes. this on, on something that is quite old or like it's got to be something that's new. Uh, no, it's got to be more newer. of a newer vehicle. Yeah, maybe yeah, like, newer. 
like <laughs> maybe three years. I, I don't know the rules, but it, it's, it, it can't be something that's yeah. 10 years old, basically. Yeah, 100%. We need to look at what is that there. But the reality is, is if there's equity there, there's there's ways to get at it. And I think that's what the gist is. But if anybody's interested in doing that, I can certainly hook you up with some sort of, um, you know, assessment and we can go forward on that as well. Uh, amazing. Amazing. The next product, uh, we're getting closer to the end. You've shared a, a, just a ton of great information. <laughs> yeah. But I'd like you to speak about reverse mortgages because this maybe our listeners, yeah. uh, they, it may not be for them, but, but it, it very well may be, but it could be for a family member, friend, that kind of thing. Yeah. But if you, you can explain that, that product. So, yeah, there, we're seeing a lot more of that. And I'm going to say it's unfortunate, but I will explain why I say that. So reverse mortgage, I'm sure some of us have heard the term or seen the commercials right now. Chip has, um, it's one of the reverse mortgage companies. They have Kurt Browning on there. When I was a kid, Kurt Browning was like the best figure skater. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Yeah. that's right. So he, so what it is right now is, is what, what a reverse mortgage essentially is. It's let's say you have, for example, have no mortgage on a property and you're looking at this thinking, you know what, I need some extra cash out of my property and I need it now. There's two things you can do. You can do a reverse mortgage and it will either give you a lump sum or it'll give you a monthly stipend and send you money, essentially. So the mortgage is paying you every month. Now, you ha- in order to get this type of mortgage, you have to be above 55 years old or older than 55 years old. So this is not for you know somebody in their 30s that has you know no, no or very little mortgage, something like that. That's a different product. So with the reverse mortgage, if you take a lump sum, that mortgage does not have any payments. You do not need to pay that mortgage back. So we only go to a certain value of your property, only to a certain percentage of what your value of your property is. They will not go all the way to you know, 80% of what your, what your property is, like most lenders will. That is not gonna happen. The reason is, is because with that mortgage, the interest that, that is accumulating is accumulating onto your balance. So if you start off and you owe $100,000, you're going to add onto that. And by the time that money is due or you're paying it back, it might be $110,000. It might be $120,000. depends on your interest rate, right? So it's just accumulating there. So what you owe, that interest is added to the mortgage amount as as long as you have that money out. But you don't actually have to make a payment on that. So it's great for seniors that are struggling, especially if you're just on OAS and CPP, that is not enough to live on anymore especially with our, you know, inflation rates and our cost of living has significantly increased and CPP and OAS has not. So you're still only making a certain value per month fixed income. This might be the solution, you know, because I don't want to see anybody going without a house or going without food or anything like that. Or maybe they need, you know, a monthly stipend to help them with that. That's the way to do it. Or if they need a lump sum, let's say you want to help your grandkids, you know, with a down payment, we can use a reverse mortgage to do that. So we can access the equity in the house and do and do exactly that. Um, the big factor on this one is equity and age. Those are the two things. They know what your income is. They know that you're good for the money. And that's 100% why they don't allow us to go higher than a certain value of your house or a certain percentage of the value. You had mentioned no mortgage. Now, could this... Yeah. Like if you so if you do have high equity and just a small mortgage, you can't get a reverse mortgage, or can you still? You can, yeah, you, you can. absolutely can. What would okay. yeah? In most cases, they're going to want to take your existing mortgage. Like let's say you you know your house is worth five hundred thousand, and you have a hundred and ten thousand dollar mortgage on it. They will take out that hundred and ten thousand dollars and add to it. I see. So you okay. no longer have any mortgage payments. They want to be the first mortgage 
they won't add a second mortgage behind it. In most cases, they all want to take out that existing mortgage. So they would pay that so there's existing no mortgage, that, that mortgage would be paid off. And so they're, right. they're, they're in line first. That makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, they protect themselves with the equity, but also it's more beneficial, you know, for the clients as well, because they don't have a mortgage payment now. And if you, I mean, not to say that if you wanted to make a mortgage payment, you couldn't, you can, you can make those payments, or let's say you want to pay the interest so that it stays at that 100,000 loan, going back to my previous example, it, that's up to you, you can do it, if you want to make a payment, but you don't have to. Okay, that's that's a that's a great option. I, I didn't mm -hmm. know that part. I, I just thought, oh, no, yeah. no payment. Okay, but you can if you didn't yeah. want to grow. Yeah, most people don't make a payment. I mean, that's that's the whole reason they're accessing it is so they don't have to make a payment. But if you if you you know suddenly are like, oh, I'd, I'd like to pay some of this back, you can do that. It's it's not set in stone, and you can make changes during your term and that sort of thing. So they are. I'm going to say they're a little more flexible than than most people think. But yeah, again, it depends. There's different companies that offer these types of loans and it depends on which company. Again, you need to talk to a mortgage broker and have that conversation. And I say talk to a mortgage broker that that knows about these because I don't know that every mortgage broker does chip or or equitable bank or these reverse mortgages. So for, you want to make sure. sure that you're getting that proper information. Yeah, that makes sense. And I was just thinking of a, mm -hmm. a, a, a good solution could be also with the, let's say you're elderly and it's maybe going to take some time to sell your house. And if you're struggling financially, they might be able to pull something like this. What would be the, mm -hmm. is there some sort of penalty if you paid it back? Uh, like say if that once that house sold, is there any, you know, like if, if you were, if it was a short term thing, what would you do to pull equity out of a house for someone? Is it a reverse uh, it mortgage or, so, like or something else? It depends. I mean, I, it would probably, if there's an option for something else, I would probably go something else because the, yeah, the reverse mortgages are higher interest rates. Yep. Generally speaking, my first, if, if you just need equity and, you know, if we can qualify, I suggest a secured line of credit. I honestly think that that's the cheapest way because it is interest only payments. Hmm. So that's, yeah. that's how you pay it back and, and you're making those payments. So as long as you can make those payments, that's a better option. But again, it comes down to qualification at that point, because if you're on fixed income, qualifying becomes a lot more challenging, right? How much do you qualify for? How much do you need? How much do you want? That sort of thing. So it's, it's very very, I mean, I need to know the client, what their goals are, what their plans are, what, what do you think is going to happen? Obviously, nobody has a crystal ball, but it's 100% something that I recommend the secured line of credit first and foremost, and then we remove the go to the chip mortgage. But I'd rather see somebody take a chip mortgage than not be able to go to the grocery store and buy food. Yeah. And unfortunately, 100%. that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I think this is a, yeah. it's a great product and it's great for people to know that there's options out there, right? Yeah, for, for them. exactly. Yeah. And if you're on the verge of retirement or you're, you know, getting into that, starting to plan for that, my suggestion to be part of the plan is to get a secured line of credit so that you don't need a reverse mortgage. That's the goal. Um, yeah. A reverse mortgage is kind of a last resort for me. If, if I can get you a, debtor, a different or better product that is going to cost you less and leave, like, again, it, it comes down to the planning stage, right? And that's when you get to that stage of life, it is about planning. For sure. So much the same as your financial plan is in place, we need to plan for your mortgage as well or lack thereof, right? If you have no mortgage, good for you. But I still, I still suggest the secured line of credit so that you know, 10, 15 years down the road, you're not stuck and need to have a reverse mortgage, which is higher interest and a lot more painful financially. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was amazing talking about mortgages 101. You've done such an yeah. amazing job. Uh, I think it's so much value for the listeners. I'm going to hit you with some uh, quick rapid response questions. Okay. So we're kind of getting closer <laughs> to the end. So uh, yeah, what's, let's a, do what, it. 
Okay, what's an app or software you use either for business or for personal that you couldn't live without? My iCalendar. iCalendar? Yeah. Okay. And then what's something, if someone were to Google uh, Rachel Brown, what's something they can't find out about you on a Google search? I love animals a lot. <laughs> to a fault. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. And what's your favorite book or movie, whatever you want to? Oh, gosh. I You know, that's a really... I read a lot, so it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I recently read Evelyn Hugo and Her Seven Husbands, which was hilarious. I really enjoyed <laughs> that book. And then as far as movies go, like I think it depends on the different genres, but I, I can't even go there. I think that recently I, I'm a bit of a hockey fanatic and um, I just recently watched um, Haley Wickenheiser's documentary that CBC put out just and I think it aired just before Christmas I didn't even delete it from my PVR because I might watch it again like it and I don't <laughs> ever watch anything again but yeah, yeah she did just did such an amazing job like I yeah being an advocate for women's hockey and I know That's that awesome. it's not easy when you're the first so for yeah, sure. it was pretty awesome so and that actually leads into my next one what kind of things do you do for your downtime activities probably some hockey oh. <laughs> yeah hockey's in there for sure I'm uh so that's definitely a downtime activity but I'm not even sure I get downtime <laughs> so <laughs> no I um yeah hockey is definitely a passion in my house I have three kids and two of the three play hockey and the third one is five months old and she will be playing hockey as soon as I can get her on skate Amazing. um so we yeah we watch sports non-stop uh, in our house it's just always on tv we have six for children so yeah it's kind of busy in there and then <laughs> Yeah, we do a lot of camping every weekend. We, we can camp, whether it's winter, summer, we do. Nice. Um, so whenever we don't have hockey, you'll probably find us at a campground somewhere, <laughs> anywhere. Yeah. Busy, busy. Yeah, um, it is busy. Yeah, for sure. So the other thing I want our listeners to know that uh, Rachel and I are actually going to be partnering at the spring uh, Calgary Home and Garden Show. So I just wanted to kind of plug that. It's uh, February 23rd to 26th. Okay, Rachel, thanks so much for joining me today. What's the best way for people to uh, reach you online, Instagram, that kind of stuff? I'm definitely on Instagram. I'm Mortgages with Rachel on Facebook and Instagram. You can also go to my website and hit me up there. It's www.mortgageswithrachel.com. And uh, yeah, there's links there so that you can uh, plug into, you know, if you want to book a call with me, we can do that or my information is all there as well. Okay, and there'll be links in the show notes as well. So Thank you so much for being on the show. You provided just so much value. Thank for the you listeners. so much. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Definitely. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a master home inspection certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.